Okay, good morning, everybody. It's a very happy Sunday to everybody. Uh, my name is Isaac. I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here in CBCP. And today we'll be resuming from our series, God's Righteousness, A Great God, Amazing Salvation from the Book of Romans. So we'll just pick off from where we left off last week in Romans 14, where Pastor Genesis talked about the, the struggle of accepting other people with a different point of view. In fact, right now, let's, let's try at an exercise. Um, do you think it would be okay for me to wear this cap or wear something more casual while I'm preaching the sermon to you? Now, I'm already hearing some voices saying that, oh, no, the bagay, or bawal yan, you're not supposed to wear you know, something casual while you're preaching. And I, while I know some other people would say that, you know, you're allowed to wear whatever you want, even though you're preaching a sermon of God, because, you know, we're free in Christ and we're free to wear whatever we want. While the other group would say that, you know, we should wear our Sunday's best when we're serving and worshiping God. And you should wear something presentable when you're preaching so that we respect the altar of the pulpit. Now, in that short example alone, it already proves to us that we're a church of different views and different beliefs. And it's no secret that we live in such a world, in a nation today, that is very divided. In fact, last May, during the presidential elections, we were like fire and ice. You know, we were, we were at each other's throats, you know, campaigning for our own presidential candidate. And as a church, the big Christian church, we're like a jigsaw puzzle you know, broken off into different pieces, different denominations around the world. In fact, there's so many denominations, we can't even name them all. And it's common to hear stories of churches having internal conflict, then splitting off into a different church. And the ironic thing is, in fact, Christian Bible Church, many decades ago, is a result of a church split. So this problem, this problem of division and not being able to reconcile with other people is a very fresh and vivid issue to us as a church, as a nation, and also as a community. You know, the issue of division and polarization is so fresh uh, and vivid to us because the problem, the main problem is humanity has always been diverse and divided. And our history is constantly ravaged with tensions within the church, the nation, and the world. We don't have to look too far to see instances of conflict and division. And a different point of views on whether, for example, to wear this cap or wearing something more casual while preaching a sermon can actually both stem from good intentions because one group would say that, you know, you are free to wear whatever you want. Another group would say that you should wear something more presentable when you're preaching or when you're serving God. And the problem about this or the complexity about this is both views have merit. Both views are ultimately correct. And the dilemma is which view should we follow? And this is just a very trivial issue compared to the issue that the Church of Rome is facing. In Rome, there were two fundamentally different groups. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. If you remember, the Jews were not allowed to eat unclean foods. There was a lot of foods that they were not allowed to eat. While the Gentiles were free to eat whatever they wanted, the Jews felt that some days were more sacred than others, while the Gentiles felt that all days were made alike. And Paul refers to these Jews as the weaker group, while the Gentiles as a stronger group. Now, we might think that these were just trivial issues of diet. You know, they just don't want to eat meat. They're just vegetarian. But 
it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as, you know, white clothes to wear while preaching. It's not as simple as preferences. But these, we have to understand that these issues were a fundamental conviction of the Jews. These were issues that they were willing to fight and die for. Because the Jews believed that their diet and their observance of holy days were intrinsic and non-negotiable matters to their religious identity. So let me repeat that. There are fundamental convictions to the identity of them as a people. Now, we have to remember back then in the book of Daniel, which we had a series before, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were willing to risk getting killed by King Nebuchadnezzar by refusing the food on his table. Do you remember that story? Because that's how important to them diet was, their holy diet, because it meant that for them to keep this diet is to be the holy people of the chosen people of God. And if we go to the book of Leviticus, we remember there's so many verses about, you know, eating, not eating unclean foods. And one of these verses in Leviticus 11:44 says this clearly, for I am the Lord, your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Church, it was not a simple issue of giving up one's diet. Paul was asking them, or at least what the Gentiles were asking them to do, was a fundamental shift in their cultural and religious heritage, something that they have carried for for thousands and thousands of years. How can we expect the Jews to do this? Now, Historically, the context of the book of Romans was the Emperor Claudius actually cast out all the Jews outside of Rome because of the issue of this new burgeoning Christian movement. And many, many years after, the Christians were allowed to return, I mean, sorry, the Jews were allowed to return to Rome, including these Jewish Christians. Now imagine this, you're a Christian Gentile, you're in Rome, you've been worshiping God the way that you have worshiped him for many, many years. You've been eating you know, meat, you've been eating whatever food you want. Then a group of Jews flocks into your church and they're telling you, stop eating that, stop eating this, that's unclean, that's unclean. Now, you know, barring the ethnic tensions aside, imagine these two groups neck to neck, you know, trying to assert themselves over the other. That was the community of Rome. There were a powder keg about to explode. And Paul was trying to figure out, can these two groups of people live in harmony? Now, some of you might think, why is this ancient book and this ancient issue even relevant to us? It's relevant to us because what Paul is saying here in, his, in Romans chapter 15, 1 to 3, is that his answer can actually give us the answer to this question, which is also the title of my message. How can we foster an inclusive church in such a polarized and divisive world? I know many of us are tired of the division, of the toxic nature of, our, of you know, conflict everywhere, and we just want to see a place of inclusivity, a place of harmony. So this is actually very, very relevant to us. And I'm going to answer it in, tr in three points. Well, at least I'll try to. The first one is to understand the perspective of the weak. The second will be to accept the church as it is. And the third will be to live out the church's potential. Let's go to the first point. Understand the perspective of the weak. 
you know, when we read this passage, we always imagine ourselves to be the strong ones. And we look down on the weak, we, we come off as condescending, we tell them, ha, you know, you're weaker in the faith. You don't understand what you're talking about. But let's try to imagine for the first time what it's like to be in the position of the Jews, of the weaker group, as Paul would have it. Would you be able to turn your backs on decades of cultural, communal, historical, and religious heritage just like that? Would you be able to do that? Because for the Jews, their dietary laws came from the law of Moses. And this was a non-negotiable theological conviction to their very identity as a chosen people of God. Would you be able to give up your convictions that is so deeply rooted in your identity for the sake of another group of people? And that's the problem that the Jews were facing. You know, for us Chinese people, uh, we've always had this culture of being insulated. We have the words in Hokkien, kaikilang. Or in Tagalog, tayo tayo lang. This is our own people. We create an in-group and we have another out-group. The in-group is where we are. This is a part where we have fellowship, where we have families, where we intermarry within our culture, within our community. And the out-groups, they're the outsiders. We don't mingle with them. And this is not without its basis. You can ask your grandparents because until the 1970s, the Filipino government or the Philippine government actually persecuted and discriminated against Filipino Chinese people. They were the outsiders. They were the emblemic other. You know, we have this, um, this practice now of Chinese people buying Filipino surnames. But you know what's the reason behind that? Because back then, if you had a Chinese-sounding surname, you were not allowed to receive certain services from the Filipino government. They would discriminate against your Chinese surname because of your ethnicity. So imagine this. this. This marginalized, small Chinese community is being antagonized by this big Filipino government. Hence, they further insulated within themselves. So now imagine us Phil Chai. We have a culture of insulation because of our historical, you know, conflict with the government. And it's also heavily influenced out of self-preservation. And imagine that culture being so deeply integrated into our church, which is still largely a Filipino-Chinese church. But five years ago, I actually brought my Filipino girlfriend, Zai, to our church. Many of you may know her or see her around me. In the first few months she was with me in Christian Bible Church in the Philippines, she got a lot of stares, you know, people looking at her up and down. She got questions such as, why are you doing, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What brings you here? I even got questions such as, does your family know that you're dating a Filipina? Now, of course, the church today is now more accepting of diversity, of different ethnicities. But back then, uh, it was not the case. And I'm not, I don't give this example as a point to antagonize or to attack certain people. The point that I'm trying to make is mainly old habits die hard. Our cultural, historical heritage are so deeply ingrained into us, into our identity, into our practices, that it's hard for us to unlearn especially if those very practices were the ones that 
preserved your community, that protected your community from antagonization, from this world of divisiveness. Now, this was, the Paul, this, this was a problem that Paul was facing. A group of Jews who had not imagined themselves integrating themselves into this bigger Gentile church. These Jewish practices of diet, of, you know, uh, of, the, of the Mosaic law, these were the spiritual heritage that they kept for thousands of years in this secular and destructive world. These were the very rules that kept them alive. But now Paul is saying, nothing is unclean. In Romans 7, 6, Paul says that they have now been released from the law and now must serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old ways of the written code. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, Paul says, you know, be transformed in the renewal of your minds. But is it even possible for such a fundamental shift in belief, in habits for these Jewish people? Can the Roman church ever get along. From what I see, it seems like a powder keg about to explode. Will these two polarized and divisive groups ever get along? We now have tried to understand the perspective of the weak Jews and how we try to empathize with how difficult it is for them to let go of their old habits. And the second point I'm trying to make here is we have to accept the church as it is. Because here's what Paul says. In verses 1 to 2, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves, but each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. You see, Paul understands the difficulty of changing deeply rooted practices. So this is important. Paul does not ask the strong Gentiles, to impose their liberal, correct beliefs on the weak, conservative Jews. He does not say that. Although Paul believes that everything is now clean, he does not tell the Gentiles, tell them that they're wrong, impose that your belief is correct. No, no, no. He does not say that. But Paul says, instead, be empathic. Prioritize and love them. Bear their failings. Be harmonious instead of pleasing yourself. In Romans 14:4, Paul says, do not judge them for they are also the servants of the Lord and only God can judge them. You see, Paul was not concerned on who was right. He was more concerned on creating a space of grace, a home of harmony, a place of inclusivity for all their diversity. This was completely against what you know, the, the popular or the worldly narrative of the world is today. Today, uh, the cultural narrative of the world will tell you, follow your convictions, ignore everybody else, follow your beliefs, do you. Run those who disagree with you over, cut them off, cut the toxic people off who are disagreeing with you. Those who disagree with your convictions, you know, these people are bigots, they're backwards, they're barbaric. These are the people who we should cancel in our secular narrative today. But instead, Romans 15 is telling us, don't do that. For us to be an inclusive church, we have to go against the grain. We have to go against the popular narrative of the world today. We have to stop insisting on our own views, but instead be empathic and love and accept those who think differently from us. You know, the only way that we can do this, to accept people who are so fundamentally different from us, it's out of love. It's out of love. 
And I know this requires more disclaimers and qualifications because Paul is not saying that everything is relative. Paul is not saying that just be united, just love the other, and give up your convictions. Paul is not saying that. Paul understands that we still have to you know, be wise and be critical and evaluate what is good and what is beneficial for the community. He does not say that we have to give way to the weak. We have to give up everything for the weak. He does not say that. Because there's a way that we can give up our convictions for the weak that can also be the more um, detrimental for the church. But Paul is saying that we should love our neighbor. That's all he's saying. Keep your convictions, but then prioritize loving and accepting your neighbor. And we have to be more, we have to be more wise and discriminating in the way that we give to the weak. Be wise, but also love your neighbor. You know, the gospel says that if Christ was strong enough beyond all measure, and he was willing to suffer so much abuse and misunderstanding for us to the point of dying upon the cross because of our weakness, how can we, his servants, not even do a fraction of that for our beloved brothers and sisters? Paul says in Romans 3 to 7, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Jesus or Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let me tell you another story. Um, when I was first dating Zai, uh, my girlfriend, I knew there would be some challenges because of the differences in our culture and our ethnicities. You know, many of our parents and grandparents today have this uh, cultural notion of a great wall. You're only allowed to marry or intermarry or date within your own culture and your own ethnicity. And um, of course, that was a problem for me. Um, and I remember at the start of our dating uh, life, I would bring her to CCF because nobody knew us there and we could just date as we please. We could just worship as we please. I was afraid of bringing her to CBCP where she would get you know, a lot of stares. And um, on our second date, I told Zai, you know, there might be some problems with you dating me because of my culture, because of my race. And I told her there's so many barriers that could stop us from being together. But I told her that you know, I would do my best to fight for this relationship because I see my future. I see a long-term relationship with you. And one night, I went to my parents' room and knocked on their door. And um, you know, I went in, I told them, Mom, Dad, you know, we have to talk. And uh, I said that I, I'm, date, I'm dating this, this person. Um, and I really see a future with her. Her name is Zai, and she's Filipino. Dead silence. And for like an eternity of silence, my mom finally said, um, I would prefer that you would date and marry a Chinese person. So my heart sank uh, because 
you know, I was so frustrated. I was so angry at her because why couldn't she understand? And why why were there why were there these you know fundamental and cultural barriers that I can't seem to cross over and communicate to my parents? In in a youthful fashion, I argued with my parents, and we left that conversation uh, unresolved. You know, it was a, a fundamental difference in our views, me and my mom, and I felt that there was no room for reconciliation. In that moment, I thought that I was a strong one in this, in this context, in this situation, because I thought I was a strong one because I had the liberal, progressive views, you know. I was the one who was more willing to date outside of my culture, while they were the, the more conservative ones. But in hindsight, I was actually the, the weak one there because I was close-minded. I didn't want to dialogue with my mom. Every time she would talk to me, I wouldn't listen. Um, I was the one who was so narrow-minded about this whole issue. My mom told me many reasons. She told me that it would be difficult for us to understand her culture and her culture mine, and that my grandmother can only speak in Chinese, so she wouldn't be able to talk to her. Uh, but I wouldn't listen because I was so narrow-minded. I was so set in my own views. I just want to be clear. I don't think that I was weak because my convictions were wrong or I believed that my views were wrong. But I was weak because I was incapable of listening. I was incapable of being empathic to my mom's point of view. But nevertheless, my, my parents got to know her better. Uh, we had meals out. And after some time... My mom went to my room, and she knocked on my door, and she told me, I would prefer that you would date and marry a Chinese person, but if it's God's will for you to date and marry Zai, I will fully support you. And in that moment, you know, I realized how, how beautiful, how loving my mom was, because she was a strong one in this situation, do you see? Because she allowed herself to see things in my point of view. She was the one who was empathic towards me. And she chose to accept me and welcome me and Zai with open arms because she loved me. In Romans 1, 2, again, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. You see, my mom loved me so much that she was willing to sacrifice her own cultural convictions for me. She overlooked them for me. She bore with my close-mindedness, and she pleased me for my good, and she built me up. My mom was Christ to me in those moments, and I'm so grateful to her. Today, um, Zai is part of my family, and recently my family just met with her family. And whenever I think about this, I remember the goodness of God through my family's inclusive acceptance and love for me and Zai. And church, this is what a single act of love and acceptance can do by someone who is strong for someone who is weak like me. It is an unparalleled and unimaginable act of love that someone was willing to overlook their convictions to accept and love me. So for those who are strong, in this church, listening to me right now, have mercy on us, those who are weak. Because imagine if everybody in this church would love like this. What a beautiful, inclusive, and accepting church our church would be.
And this is exactly the vision of God and his trust of his gospel. To live out his promise and to paint this caricature of love, unity, and acceptance. And going to my last point, we have now to live out the church's potential. This is what Paul meant in uh, Romans 15, 8 to 11. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might be glorified uh, glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, that all the people extol him. Now, the promise of God to the patriarchs was simply this. It's a divine promise to bless the patriarchs in a world where human initiatives always leads to disaster. It is a promise of divine human relationship which passes on to the descendants of Abraham forever. We can see this in, of course, Genesis 12, 2 and Leviticus 26, 12, that he will walk among us and he will be our God and, he, and to, we will be his people forever. Now, you might be asking, what does this promise have to do with us? You see, we are the inheritors of this promise. And this promise is the gospel. And for us to know whether we have received this gospel truly is when the gospel is embodied and lived out in our church, in our community. And this is what Paul has been saying in the previous chapters of Romans. You know, he's telling us what the gospel is like. And now he's telling you, telling us, if you really believe in this gospel, then your community will be blindingly bright in this dark, divided world. Because living out the gospel is imitating Christ. It means that we have to give up our own freedoms or overlook them for the sake of love and acceptance for the other, for those who are weak. Of course, the church today has not exactly lived up to that potential. Historically, the Gentiles and the Jews, you know, they went their separate ways. And if you go to your history books, the Jews were actually persecuted by, many, by the Gentiles, by the Christians, many, many times. And just a hundred years ago, we had the Holocaust, you know, where they exterminated six million Jews, while the German Christian church stood idly by while this happened. And of course, you know, we still hear of churches competing with one another, or having competition within the church. Um, and, you know, we're still very judgmental of each other. We still look at the people we dislike and we point out their flaws. You know, those, the things that make them so different from us, that makes them so unlovable in our eyes. We see the differences with our brothers and sisters here in church, those that we dislike, instead of seeing our fundamental similarities, that we're both the children of God. And it's no wonder that the church today is losing so much of the support of the younger generation because they point out the hypocrisy of the church. You, the church, was meant to be loving and accepting. Why are, you so, uh, why are you so filled with hypocrisy? Why are you so intolerant, so inhospitable to so many groups of people? People who do not look like us, people who do not think like us, whether this be people of a different race, different culture, or different theological position, or even different sexual orientation. 
you know, we fail, we have failed as a church to proactively welcome and love the other as the gospel has mandated us to do. So I hope you open your eyes and see the church as it is today and imagine what it could be if we embodied what Romans 15 is trying to say. And today I was able to discuss with you these three things, you know, for us to be able to foster an inclusive church in a polarized world, we have to understand the perspective of the weak. We have to accept the church as it is, and we have to live out the potential of the church. You know, the gospel tells us that Jesus has reconciled the living and the dead. He has brought upon a new creation. And in this new age, the Jews are forever reconciled to the Greeks or for the Gentiles. Jews, Jesus has reconciled us to the other. And we can now live in love and in harmony because of what he has done for us on the cross. And this will be a unique type of community. A community that is the foretaste of the eternally diverse, eternally faithful community of God. Now for me to end, I just have these application points for you to consider, uh, for you to take home. Ask yourself this. In any given situation, are my circumstances reflective of the crucified Christ, or am I often playing the part of the crucifying soldier? Do I value my own convictions more than loving the people that Jesus loved? Does being right feel better to me than loving others? Now you can take a screenshot of this or just pause the video right here, but I think these are good application points for us to consider. And let me end with this beautiful passage that Paul leaves us. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, we, the Gentiles, will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here are Paul's final words to us before delivering his greetings in the end of the book of Romans. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. In other words, let you, let our church tell the Jesus story. Tell the story of Jesus so that we can foster an inclusive church in such a polarized world. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to discuss Romans 15 together. May we be filled with your spirit and understand the perspective of the weak because we were weak ourselves, Lord, in our sin and you were the strong one who accepted and loved us all the same. May we embody that love and acceptance for the other. May we be an inclusive church in this divided world. Be with us, Father. In your name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a blessed Sunday.